Hey there, friends. Welcome to this episode of the Legal Page Podcast. Now, today's episode is all about how COVID has really changed since March and what you need to know, specifically if you are a wedding or uh, event industry professional. That's uh, biggie for all of us dealing with this. And so first off, I want to give kind of a lay of the land of what's happening in the United States right now and really just be very upfront and transparent with you all. And then I want to chat about how that reality of what's going on in the world plays into force majeure, cancellations, and reschedulings as we move into the fall and winter of 2020. I'll also be answering questions like if your clients inform you beforehand that there will be more guests at the wedding than what is allowed pursuant to your state guidelines, what you should do, or say your clients ask you um, if you're willing to go ahead with the wedding and they tell you that they're going to abide by all of the guidelines, but then you show up, no one is wearing masks, and there are way more people present than you expected. What should you do in that situation? Or say you get COVID-19 within, say, two weeks or a week of a scheduled wedding or event that you have and you need to talk to your clients or figure out what to do next. Or what happens if you get COVID-19 after you perform services a wedding? What do you do? I am going to be talking about all of this in today's episode to help ease some big fears surrounding safety at weddings and events right now as professionals who perform close in-person services often to people and one-on-one contact with everybody. Um, and I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to get into this episode. So let's do this, Legal Pagers. You're listening to the Legal Page Podcast, where we chat about life and business with a legal twist. I'm Paige, attorney and photographer helping online businesses and creatives tackle their business dreams without breaking out in hives. No more legal mumbo jumbo. This podcast features simple bite-sized advice that'll have you legally legit in no time. Are you ready? Let's get started. As a reminder, before we get into this episode, I am legally obligated to give my disclaimer. So I am an attorney, but I am not your attorney. All legal information I talk about on this episode is intended for the masses and a large variety of different businesses. I am only your attorney when you hire me and we sign an engagement letter for me to work specifically on your legal issues. Please feel free to seek out another attorney in your hometown if you need specific legal advice or contact me for more information. Alrighty, here's the episode, friends. Okay, thank you again so much for tuning in today. As I mentioned in our intro, I'm going to be talking all about the changes with COVID-19 as of about, you know, spring, March, April of 2020. And what you need to know now moving into fall and winter 2020 and then weddings, of course, that have been extended or are changing into uh, a rescheduled 2021 event. Let's just start off here with where we were in March 2020 and where we are now. So we all remember March 2020, we're literally at home. (laughs) Stay at home orders are in place, shelter in place orders are in effect and everyone basically across the country isn't going anywhere except for essential workers and, um, you know, grocery stores are open. Um, essential places are open for us to all go to, but many of us stayed indoors inside in our homes, uh, with our household family members that counted as kind of our household unit for almost eight weeks in some places. And so obviously at that point in time, and if you recall from many of my other podcast episodes that I had during that period of time, I talked a lot about force majeure. And, you know, force majeure was really implicated at that time in people's contracts because of being at home and not being able to go out, venues not being open, people being unable to travel. It was impossible to host events. And so force majeure kicked in and then we had all these issues with contracts and cancellations and reschedulings and fees paid due to the force majeure clause being implicated in particular wedding vendors contracts. 
Now we're at a very different place. And I know if you're listening, you're like, it's different literally when I cross every state border. Correct. So at every various place across the country has different rules and regulations and guidelines surrounding COVID-19. Many of them have phased approaches to opening. Some of them are fully open. Some of them aren't open really at all still. And it's very, very minimal. And But what you're going to see basically across the board is a state is implementing kind of a phased approach where I would say as of May and June, a lot of states were opening under like a phase one approach. Say there's like three phases here. Um, the governor of each state makes this directive because they control what's happening within their state borders and for their um, citizens and constituents in that state. And so um, we elected said governor to make these decisions for us, especially when it comes to public policy, public health. And so a phase one approach was usually like, okay, you can gather up to 10 people. We're going to allow XYZ businesses to open, but at limited capacity, or maybe there's a maximum amount. That was kind of phase one. And then I would say quickly states move to phase two or three, or they just kind of open the floodgates. Now for phase two and three, what you're seeing is kind of a percentage of what capacity can be open at a bar and a restaurant for people to go to, or even um, like a department store, or how many people can be in your building and facility. Of course, you guys know, like when you go into a restaurant, like there's a max capacity limit. So it's based upon that. Like when they had to open their doors, they had to get an inspection from um, the city and the city put a number on that. So many of those type of businesses are at like a percentage capacity. I'd say right now, like generally speaking across the board, it's like 50 to 75% capacity that you could be open. Um, So if you were a restaurant and you could have a hundred people maximum pursuant to whatever your business capacity is, then at 50 to 75%, you could have 50 people or 75 people. Um, and then it goes up from there, right? Like if you're a larger space that can host a hundred people, 200 people, uh, you see what I'm saying. The percentage of, you know, would implicate how many people could be there. And one of the other issues that's really impacting the wedding and event industry is this maximum limit of people to gather. Oftentimes, this is based upon the CDC guidelines. So you will see like a 50 person limit on gatherings right now. Um, or you could see, you know, 10 people, 25 people, but we're just going to use the 50 person limit as kind of the main example here in this episode. So the big issue that I'm trying to get at is a place of assembly or a place that people gather together like a wedding or event is likely going to be under kind of different protocols and guidelines, such as 50 people maximum, while restaurants and bars and other similar locations and businesses like that could open at, say, 75% capacity. And if they have... 150 to 200 people that they can host in, you know, their building or area or restaurant, you could have way more than 50 people. You would be able to have like over 100 people, over 125 people. Um, So there's some discrepancy here and it's creating a lot of confusion in the wedding and event industry. So I understand that some states are being super strict on the maximum people at a gathering quota and some really aren't. And that is some research that you're going to have to do on your end. You know, is there enforcement on this gathering quota? Are they really abiding by this 50 person maximum or are they allowing when venues to kind of be open at say a hundred people or 150 people could be at a wedding or event or large gathering at X venue. Um, and some just like the maximum people at a gathering quota really isn't meaning much for lots of places across the country. So the one thing I will say is if you're in one of those states where, you know, the even if there is a max amount of people, you just really have to be careful that the venue doesn't fall under, say, a bar or restaurant exception where they can have a certain percentage of people. 
Uh, I want to get into this a little bit legally here on what this means. So I wanted to just go over like, okay, we're in these phased approaches. This is like kind of what's somewhat happening across the board in the U.S. We all know that the past few months since March, uh, half of this year has been chaotic and crazy because we never had a federal mandate. We were just basically dealing with what each state was deciding to do for everyone within that state. And then it just changed consistently every day for every single state and nobody could keep up with it. For wedding and events, you know, we're often traveling as vendors to various states. We have people coming in from other states to attend the weddings that we um, are providing services at. So there's a whole host of new complications we need to be aware of. Now, with this situation where, like, is the venue an, a venue that kind of qualifies as a bar or restaurant and they can be at 75% capacity pursuant to my phased guideline and opening approach in my state? Or are they restricted to this, say, 50-person gathering quota for of people? And so it's, there's just so much confusion. Like, how do we know? There are some cases legally that are being litigated on this right now. So I know that this can be complicated for you, but we all know what the Constitution is. And if you don't understand kind of equal protection of the laws or freedom of speech, I would just Google that and kind of see what those terms are and how certain businesses are able to make some arguments in these respects. So there is a really good kind of equal protection of the laws constitutional argument that's getting litigated. And some judges are actually granting what's called preliminary injunctions, which is where like a venue would sue and file suit against the government. Um, There's one particular in New York that I find super interesting. It's this case where all of these venues or owners of a venue came together. They filed suit against Cuomo and the state government And they said to be preliminarily enjoined, uh, which means you can't do that anymore. It's like stopping, right? And to enjoin is to stop. So uh, they were asking to stop the government from enforcing this 50-person gathering limit at a wedding venue because they should be treated equally to like bars and restaurants that could open at 75% capacity. Super interesting. And so some, it just depends on the judge you get, right? You file this suit and then the judge is going to interpret the laws and the judge, judges are deciding various things across the entire country. They're saying, okay, um, yes, you can't do that. You can't treat a bar and restaurant differently than you could treat a wedding venue. And some are saying, no, you can because weddings have a whole host of other situations that you need to, um, be prepared for, which is why the limit is in place to begin with. Um, so, you know, kind of a rational basis on like why they put that law together to begin with. That's going to be my end of my legal spiel um, because con law gets really complicated really fast. Um, But it's really interesting to note that all of these lawsuits are coming up against the government and these phased approaches to opening in the time of COVID. Okay, so besides whether or not the venue can or cannot operate at whatever per person maximum or percentage limitation that they have upon them, we need to talk about also, is it being enforced? So just because the state says you can't have over 50 people, venues and clients are really not super worried about that because to be very frank with you, There is like zero enforcement of this happening. I have heard of it happening in like just a couple locations in the U.S., obviously Hawaii in particular, because it's, you know, this very small islands, the health um, system could get overloaded so quickly. And so they really have been enforcing the 14-day quarantine and you can't have over 10 people at a gathering, so on and so forth. Um, but other states that I know of in particular, like myself in Montana, um, I know um, lots of photographers in the Midwest, down South, uh, there's just really no enforcement. And so clients are doing whatever they want. They're having as many people as they want at gatherings and weddings and venues are really like opening their doors and saying, you know, we're not, there's really no risk of getting shut down because no, you know, officer 
law enforcement officer is going to come and shut us down. So in my opinion, (laughs) and I know this really varies with who you talk to. I know it's political somewhat. And I know I'm not supposed to openly express my opinions that often as kind of a lawyer and legal source of truth. But I think it's needed in this particular instance because not only am I in the wedding and event industry, I am also a lawyer for many vendors in the wedding and event industry. And you guys know, like I'm also, well, was technically a bride to be. Um, we had to cancel our November wedding for this year due to COVID. But all in all, my perspective is important here for all of those reasons. I have so many perspectives on this, but as a vendor, this type of like non-compliance by venues and by clients with COVID-19 state guidelines is putting all of us wedding vendors in tough positions. It's making our jobs extremely stressful. It's making them 10 times more hazardous and, you know, health implications there. And it's really just overall making it more challenging than it needs to be. Hey there, are you a wedding and event industry vendor? And you're listening to this podcast and thinking, oh gosh, I think I need a contract addendum, a rescheduling contract, a cancellation contract, all of the above. I've got you, my friend. We have created a rescheduling and cancellation bundle that's just for you. It includes all three documents and an additional bonus document for a second contract addendum if your clients reschedule again. And you can get them now at thelegalpage.com. That's thelegalpage.com. And you just want to search for the rescheduling and cancellation bundle. So that is the lay of the land of where we're at right now. And I'm sure many of you listening in are feeling this. You're like, okay, Paige, I totally get it. Like all these things you're talking to me about, I just, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? So if you're in some situation where you're a little confused on whether you should attend the wedding, whether they are going to go over, you know, the per person limit, whether there are going to be health and safety precautions in place, are people wearing masks? Will there be six feet social distancing? I remember calling the health department um, here in Montana on behalf of some of my clients, and the health department basically said, like, we understand your position. We're sorry. You know, your particular profession puts you in a position where social distancing cannot stay consistent during the services you're performing. And I was like, yes, you hit the nail on the head there, health department. But they were like, We, you know, we have had some venues get turned in, but mainly across the board, people are hosting it at like private places, religious ceremonies come into play, and there's arguments to be made there that they can do what they want to do. So they didn't really, they were just like, here are all the safety things you need to do wear a mask, wear a face shield, because apparently COVID can be contracted through the eyes now too. Um, They were telling me like proper sanitation procedures, make sure you always have um, hand sanitizer kind of attached to your gear and on you if at all possible. Of course, um, you try to maintain social distancing at all times. Um, They gave me all of these things we could do. But at the end of the day, I was like, we're like, it's hazard pay, which is what we should be making. But I digress on that point. Um, my biggest suggestion right now to kind of like give you tools, like what can you do to kind of get some questions answered right now is I would suggest many of you have kind of a release or waiver of liability for COVID purposes. If you don't, we have one in the legal page shop. I would send your clients a COVID-19 waiver around 30 days prior to the wedding or event. This will do many things. It will inform your clients that you are abiding by all state and local county guidelines, that you, you know, have a business license on the line, that these are the like safety precautions you will be taking, that you expect X from them in terms of abiding by kind of COVID guidelines. And you can also put in there like you have the right to, to leave if there are um, like no social distancing or health precautions um, being com- like enforced. So here's the thing. When you send this waiver, it's interesting because two things happen. 
three things happen. First, your clients read it. They are informed now. You have planted the seed in their mind um, that you really want them to comply with COVID-19. And then they respond to you with some questions, clarifying you guys hash it out. Two, they just read it and they sign it. This could be, okay, they just don't care. They just want to like sign off on it. They're moving on. That could be a red flag. It could also be, yes, we totally understand. No problem. Understand what this waiver is. Maybe sign it with a couple of their vendors. Here you go, signing. Or you, the third thing is like, you're going to get a million red flags from your clients. They're going to have all these questions. They're going to wonder if you're going to leave. Like these are just red flags in general that you need to be aware of because as a wedding and our event vendor, at that point in time, when you're 30 days out, you can make some decisions. If you're like, okay, I want you to like feel your gut on that. If your clients are giving you some grief or they're being different than they have in the past as you've communicated together, or they're really against the COVID waiver, like hella red flag there that they probably aren't going to abide by anything. There's going to be lots of people. No one's going to be wearing masks. Everyone's going to be drinking. It's going to be a wedding celebration like we had in 2019. (laughs) Basic wedding celebration, pre-COVID situation. And so if that's the case, you need to make a decision, okay? And I can't make this decision for you, nor can any other colleague that you have or friend that you have in the industry. Please stop going on Facebook groups and asking kind of like what you should do if you are not prepared to get about 10 to 20 different answers from various business owners' perspectives and their morals and ethics on what you should do. You can do that. Just be prepared for that. And I want you just right now, okay, we're on this podcast. I want you to pretend like you and I are just like sitting down. We're going over the facts and circumstances of this one wedding that you have coming up. Things have happened. You've gotten some red flags. My goal would be to have you make your own decision on where you are at right now with COVID as a person and as a business owner. Do you think the guidelines are so important that you absolutely need to abide by them? Do you think or do you know that enforcement of the guidelines within your vicinity is happening and your business license could be impacted? Because if it's not being enforced, then the risk of your business license being revoked due to you being at a venue or a wedding and providing services, it's pretty low right now. Nobody's just getting like their business licenses revoked, even though I've heard that this is happening and people are talking about it online. I also just want you to check in with yourself. Like, do you have people in your life that are high risk and you don't want to be at a wedding or event that could impact their health and safety? Are you high risk for that matter? Do, you know, politically, I I just can't get into that, but it's just, where are you at? Where are you at with COVID? Do you feel comfortable providing services at a wedding or event, even if it does go above and beyond the guidelines? You need to ask yourself that question and answer it yourself, okay? And once you have that answer, it's really going to help you be less stressful. Um, Because if you decide not to perform services, which is totally fine and totally valid, and you have every right not to do that, every person has their own choice in this right now, um, then you know that they either need, that you might be canceling on these clients if you can't get them to reschedule to another date. And it's unfortunate, but it's honestly the reality of what's going on right now. Like you might just need to cancel and give a refund. And here's why. Because other service providers are performing services under any circumstance. And so there are other photographers, other videographers, other wedding planners that could step in for you and provide those services to their client without issue. I don't want you to get into a situation where you are like battling a contract and I will tell you if you go to the wedding and then you decide to leave in the middle of the wedding because there was supposed to be 50 people, but now there's 80 people in that situation, (laughs) you are going to be highly liable and it's high, high risk of you getting sued 
or there be huge claims down the line that you didn't finish your services at the event. I would rather you be in a situation where you're refunding a portion of the retainer for all services you haven't performed thus far or something along those lines around like, I don't know, a thousand, you know, 1500 versus them coming back and like suing you for three, four thousand dollars and all this emotional stress involved in you just leaving their event. So I could go obviously more and more and more into this, but I just, that's kind of the lay of land. I know that was like the start of this episode. Uh, and so I've got some Q and A's I want to go through right now because I found them very interesting from the legal page community, our Facebook group. You can definitely join it. It's free online. Just go into Facebook, type in the search bar, the legal page community, and you can come join us if you are a business owner. And so I, I had to give like and preface that information at the beginning of this episode just to get you all thinking like, where are we at? Where are you at? What are you comfortable doing? Um, what are your risks and liabilities involved in X situation and Y situation and Z situation? Now let's get into some specific questions that people are having. So this one person asked, I have a couple that was supposed to elope in Hawaii. They have already made the retainer and final payment a few months ago. The wedding was originally supposed to be in May, then in September as a tentative date. Hawaii just extended their quarantine order, so the elopement is definitely not occurring, and they want to cancel. I tried offering rescheduling options, but they aren't willing to. In this event, do you know if this falls under force majeure? And if I have to refund the entire final payment? If I have to refund, should I put in my cancellation agreement a specific amount of time that the refund will be processed within? Okay, great, great question from someone in our Facebook group. So I found this particularly interesting because I was just dealing with like a Hawaii wedding in November COVID cancellation rescheduling situation. Um, so it hit close to home. Uh, but as an attorney, I kind of want to talk about force majeure in Hawaii type situations. Hawaii is like this anomaly right now <laughs> as a state in the U.S. You know, New York kind of is, but I think they're, they're opening and, you know, uh, their restrictions a little bit. It's, it's not as concrete as Hawaii, but Hawaii also had a spike in cases and they were, they lifted the inter-island quarantine. Um, so if you went from various islands in Hawaii to the other island, you'd still have to quarantine for 14 days, even though it's like obviously one whole state. They lifted that and then there was a huge spike in cases. They have always had like a 14 day quarantine for anyone coming in from anywhere else, any country or the mainland of the US. So you can still go there. It's just challenging, like uber, uber challenging because you basically have to like sit in your hotel room or sit in an Airbnb or sit at your friend's house for 14 days before you can leave. And you better believe that Hawaii is enforcing this because they're a small island and they can't have a massive outbreak because it will literally shut down their healthcare system. They they have zero capacity to host a bunch of COVID cases, um, like, you know, hospitalized COVID cases. So then Hawaii was like, okay, so starting on September 1st, we will allow people to enter Hawaii with as long as they've taken a COVID test within three days of coming to Hawaii and the test reads negative. So everyone was like, okay, Hawaii is opening, is doing well. And then they went backwards because they had a spike in cases in end of July, beginning of August. And they said, okay, we're not going to do that on September 1st. Actually, we're going to go back to inter-island quarantine. So they let people kind of travel if they lived in Hawaii to all the islands, and then now they don't. So they haven't really released what they're going to do yet. I know it's dependent on all of their state's opening guidelines and what's happening with, you know, can people come in? At the end of the day, what I'm trying to get at here is facts and circumstances surrounding force majeure. Remember, force majeure means something of superior strength that occurs that both parties or all parties to the contract at the beginning of when they initially signed the contract could not predict. And now it's obviously uncontrollable by all parties. Nobody could control this situation. And it has left one of the parties to make it impossible for them to perform. 
Now, the impossibility is what mainly like Hawaii wedding vendors and clients who are eloping or having a wedding in Hawaii are kind of having a disagreement over. Obviously, COVID was unpredictable. And what's happening in Hawaii in general is was unpredictable and uncontrollable by everyone involved. But did it make it wholly impossible to perform? The answer is not clear cut. <laughs> and this would essentially be a like a just wonderful facts and circumstances for a court to interpret. I just say that because I, I worked for a judge and if I had these, I would be looking at the law and looking at the facts and looking at what's happening with Hawaii. And then judges are making their own determinations on this. Impossibility is narrowly construed generally across the board in the U.S., and the one thing I do want to say is, you know, force majeure is so different from state to state right now. I would say that it's still a thing in Hawaii because it's basically like the obviously it's not wholly impossible. You could you and your entire party, wedding party and all of your guests could go to Hawaii 14 days in advance right now in quarantine before you actually gather together and have this event. But you add in vendors to that, you add in hotel restrictions to that, you just add in this whole host of like all of these complications and it gets to be very impossible. Like it's impossible for lots of people to financially afford to go to Hawaii for 14 days and sit in a hotel in quarantine. And so there's so many arguments that could be made on that side. But then there's arguments, of course, that can be made from a vendor's perspective or a venue's perspective that's like, well, it's very challenging to get here and host your event, but it's not absolutely, concretely impossible. I would say that force majeure is basically still a thing in Hawaii. <laughs> However, how that impacts your contract is going to depend differently for each client and company that are working together. So lots of force majeure clauses, you're working off existing contracts and those force majeure clauses explain, you know, okay, the impacted party or someone who makes, you know, who can't perform due to impossibility um, is excused from performance. So it's not a breach of contract. Okay. That's cool. And that's what most force majeure clauses stated pre-COVID. But then it never said anything about fees paid, how to refund, what happens in a force majeure situation, what happens with the extension of performance? Do they have to perform at a certain date? Can you void the contract? Um, this is where lawyers and the legal world has really stepped in and been like, oh, uh, yeah, force majeure clauses need to be updated uh, on it. And so all of us are really working to have more concrete language, depending on the industry, on what these clauses need to say now, post-COVID. For Hawaii, I would just, you know, this particular person in this question, I would say that they, you know, you are probably looking at a refund of the final payment. Here's why. You are probably going to be in a situation where you could keep the retainer. You've probably performed services. You help them with a little bit of planning. I think this person was a photographer that asked this question and they have tried to reschedule now twice, but Hawaii is so unpredictable and no one knows what's happening. So it would be very hard to keep their final payment um, with kind of this elusive date of what's when this elopement is actually going to happen. I think the best way to combat this situation would be to refund their final payment, tell them that you'll transfer the retainer to another date, say within one to two years, and then essentially you'd get that final payment back once they book new services with you and there's a concrete rescheduling date in place. I think that also just really helps ease some client fears. They probably want a little bit of a refund right now. Um, they would make that would go a long ways customer service wise. Also, you never really perform services. So it's going to be very hard legally to keep, you know, the final payment anyway, because of a force majeure and uncontrollable situation. Obviously, if the client is kind of canceling on their own volition, that's completely outside of COVID. There's definitely ways in your contract that you can keep all fees paid, but we're in COVID times and COVID is totally different. So that is my answer to that question. 
Uh, obviously gray areas. I always want to just disclose that, you know, remember I'm an attorney. I'm not your attorney. I would definitely always seek out an attorney in your state who knows your force majeure laws a bit more um, clearly and can accurately interpret your contract pursuant to your state guidelines and pursuant to your force majeure case law and precedent um, so that you would have a better um, understanding of what the best option is. Um, but that if I were, you know, consulting with someone, I would give them all of those options. You know, there's, there's no one size fits all solution for basically any question that comes my way. I am all always, always, always assessing risk and liability. Liability is like your, your potential, you know, fees that you have to pay and, you know, what you are ultimately liable for. And in this situation, I wouldn't want this person to, be at risk, exposure to danger, and danger in this situation would be a lawsuit. I don't want you to be exposed to some lawsuit that you could probably just brush away right now with an easy refund of the final payment, keep the retainer, work with them on rescheduling. Friend, I don't want you to be freaked out with all this COVID stuff that's going on. I have an easy pressure release valve for you, and that's a COVID-19 release and waiver of liability form. Hundreds of other wedding vendors have gotten this from the legal paid shop, and it's easing all of the client communication pre-COVID wedding or event situations. You can go to thelegalpage.com to get yours now, and you just want to search for COVID-19 waiver. All right, another question that we had was which contract do I need my client to sign for a partial refund and change of event type? So she said this is the first time getting in this scenario. Uh, she used the COVID clause and added heavily to it with more specifications. So we have a COVID-19 postponement and cancellation clause that you can use. And then you just modify it based upon obviously where you're living, your vicinity, your location, and your client situation. And then she said, I didn't determine a time frame such as up up to three months to decide of when the client can determine if COVID is in fact affecting their wedding. So she has a couple exploring that they are canceling their wedding altogether six months before their third rescheduled date. So this this couple had rescheduled for a third time. And I'm guessing it's sometime in the spring of 2021. And this is like a fear-based, you know, rescheduling cancellation at this point. And they're like asking her six months in advance, uh, what do we do? Like, I'm worried. I think we're thinking about rescheduling. So she said, you know, what, what do I do? At what point does this technically fall under cancellation? And how do I ensure that? So I would first go to, if your clause doesn't have a distinct date, then I would probably implement a policy across the board that you would use consistently with all clients because reasonableness is kind of a factor here for how you're dealing with clients. Six months out is very premature at this time. It's definitely kind of a fear-based cancellation. But if you have a COVID clause in their contract that says they can reschedule, you would definitely need to probably allow them one reschedule due to COVID. That clause is really clear that they only get one. <laughs> they don't get any more complimentary and then fees are applied. So, you know, to not breach your clause that you created, I would definitely say, you know, explore rescheduling again. It's definitely a bummer, um, but also probably communicate with them, whether that's over the phone or email. You, you guys know, I always suggest email just for like documentation and evidential proof. I love having stuff in writing. It just is always good to go back to. Phone calls are obviously hard to go back to. It's like he said, she said situation. Uh, but, you know, in that initial communication with them, you can really talk about like, we don't know what's happening six months out. You know, at this time, I just, I really don't feel like we need to, I know you're exploring it. Um, but, you know, with my contract, I think that this would best be looked at maybe three months in advance um, and see what your clients say, see how they come back. Uh, if they really just want to reschedule, then I would just allow them like one more reschedule. I know that's a burden on your business, but 
there are other, you just don't want to get into a cancellation situation. I'm always trying to avoid that because then refunds come up. So I'm just like reschedule, reschedule, postpone, postpone as much as possible. We have a rescheduling addendum in the legal page shop that is used um, for like second or third time rescheduling. And it has that language in there for you that it's like the final time after this, you have to like start over new contract, retainer won't get transferred, so on and so forth. So hopefully that answered that question a little bit more as well. Another good question that popped up in the Facebook community was this. I have a client whose original wedding was April 2020. They rescheduled with me twice now to land on October 2020. She paid in full back in March and then called yesterday saying that they're thinking about doing a micro wedding instead on the October date and want a refund of the extra hours in second shooter. I felt completely cornered and no matter how many times I said I don't refund but would offer a credit for those hours in the form of some future sessions, albums, etc., she wouldn't accept that. I honestly felt ready to give up after that phone call and felt completely ambushed. So, you know, in this situation, you guys, what are like the best practices when it comes to scaling down weddings due to a number of variable factors like venues and different venues can house a certain number of people, state laws. I want to hear just, first of all, this person who asked this question, I'm so sorry you're dealing with this. So many of us are dealing with this in the wedding and event industry, and I'm working with clients every day from a legal standpoint on how to communicate effectively to their clients and uphold their contract. I know what you're trying to do is uphold your contract in this situation. That is obviously always step one. But the reality is now, you guys, we're this person is at rescheduling number three. From a facts and circumstance point and from a client's perspective, rescheduling again is challenging. And that's probably why this particular client went to like a micro wedding instead for the October date. Um, so, you know, they're going to have five to 10 people there, super micro wedding, and then they don't ever want to have a reception in the future. You can't control what your clients decide. Everyone has their own minds made up on, you know, whether they do want to do something in 2021, whether they just want to move on with their personal lives. I feel them. That's very personal for me. Like I, I don't know, uh, you know, if a reschedule makes sense for myself and um, my partner because I, I'm just like, you know, this is a, this is like the second reschedule for me too. So I feel for the clients in this situation as well, but from a vendor's perspective, and you guys know I'm always mostly in your corner, I want you all to think about, okay, what I, you know, the retainer is there for a reason. So the retainer probably would be non-refundable in this situation because it held that October date. And now we're in September and October is right around the corner. So that is why you held the retainer date. But maybe you could refund a little bit of the, you know, remaining amount that they've paid for the extra hours and second shooter just to please your clients and move on from the situation. But if you want to stand strong and say, absolutely not, like I will um, keep all fees paid. You have a credit for, you know, the second shooter, which I would have um, paid, you know, whatever, $350 for the second shooter or $500 for the second shooter. That equates to like one and a half hours of coverage for some other future date. I would extend the credit for maybe, you know, two years at that point. And then extra hours of coverage could be used towards something else. You can do that as well. So two options there. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Just be aware of like client pushback, how much back and forth and like just disgruntled client you know, communications that you want to have with them. Be aware of all those options for yourself and then stick to it. That is most important. Um, be consistent across the board with how you're approaching clients. So that was a really good Q&A, you guys. I loved that. Just kind of going back and forth on real life scenarios and client situations. 
Now, before we close out this episode, I really want to talk about something that's on my mind and on my heart. I'm kind of prefacing what is going to come up here in a few weeks that the legal page is going to really push out into the wedding and event industry, and that is flat fee retainers. So post-COVID, it's really important to think about planning for resiliency with your contracts. We've all had a a lot of contract issues and a lot of contract disputes. And one of the things that I have seen the most change with is retainer fees. Because nod your head or raise your hand high right now if you're like, yeah, I've had an issue with a retainer and a client arguing about the retainer. So pre-COVID, the wedding and event industry was primarily on like a percentage-based retainer fee. So you'd take like a 25% retainer or a 50% retainer. I'd say 50% was kind of standard across the board. Um, But a flat fee retainer that is consistent now post-COVID with all of your clients, no matter what the package price is, is the best way to avoid disputes on the, quote, reasonableness of the retainer amount. And it will ensure that you don't get a ton of clients asking for a refund and you have a super solid argument to not give them a refund of the retainer. Now, the reason this is popping up is because court cases are really looking at the, quote, reasonableness. This is like this factor courts are considering of why the retainer is what it is. The best example I can give you is this. So say you have two packages a $3,000 package and a $5,000 package for photography. It doesn't matter what day they book those of the week, but you are going to block off that day on your calendar just for both packages. And say your $3,000 package is for five hours of coverage and your $5,000 package is for eight hours of coverage. Either way, you're going to block out that date, right? You're never going to shoot another wedding on that day. (laughs) So with a 50% retainer, essentially, For the $3,000 package, you're willing to take a $1,500 retainer. But with the $5,000 package, you're taking a $2,500 retainer. Those are different. They're very different retainers for blocking out the date on your calendar. I know that you're performing more services within the eight-hour package, but your retainer payment, you guys, is only the fee for reserving the date on your calendar. And obviously, this is the biggest pickle that the wedding and event industry and vendors are getting into with their clients is, you know, what counts as services, what counts as holding the date. If you did, say, a $1,500 retainer for all Saturdays to book any date on your calendar and like $1,000 for all other weekdays, no matter what package they chose, that is so reasonable in a court's eyes and you will never have an issue keeping that non-refundable retainer because you X'd out that date on your calendar and no other client that inquired was able to book on that day. So I highly suggest kind of moving more towards flat retainer fees. And you can charge differently for like a Saturday, which is a prime date in the wedding industry, versus all other weekdays. But like I said, you're going to keep it super consistent no matter what package they're booking. And then, uh, you know, I've had some people ask me, well, Paige, I, you know, $1,500 isn't enough. Like I do so much work the first 60 to 90 days of, you know, helping my clients plan a little bit or, you know, shooting their engagement session and doing all of these, you know, whatever your services are that you're performing for your clients. You can always charge an additional fee for your services that's due upfront in addition to the flat retainer fee. For like adventure photographers, this is really important because you kind of are like a quasi planner. You're helping them, you're advising them, consulting with them. So in this situation, like say you're an adventure elopement photographer, you have a $1,500 retainer for all of your clients and it would probably book out like two days on your calendar because there's likely travel involved. And then you you have, say, a $2,000 that's due upfront additional for XYZ planning reasons, it's really clear to your clients that the non-refundable retainer applies to reserving the date on your calendar and that you're saying no to every other person that inquires. And then it delineates what is due upfront for your planning services that you will render in, say, I don't know, the first 30, 60, 90 days of working together. And you want to outline all of this in your contract. 
Okay. This does two things. It allows you to easily keep that $1,500 retainer because it's literally for nothing other than booking out that date. And you've all like, if they were to change or cancel or reschedule, you will have lost potential wages on that day and then, or income on that day. And then it really explains like you are performing XYZ services up front and those are due prior to you performing those services. And this is all kinds of businesses do that for upfront fees paid for like the services that are going to be performed very soon. Um, because then you don't have any issues with, you know, payments and trying to get those payments from clients and asking, you know, like invoicing clients for fees that are still due. Like that's just complicated. So with that being said, I'm going to stop there because I just wanted to plant the seed. I wanted to let you guys ponder that. Think about that. I'd love to hear your feedback on flat fee retainers. The legal page will be updating all fee and retainer clause language that's in our contracts in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to launch these kind of the middle of September, and we plan to announce this shift all across Instagram, Facebook Lives, free webinars, all about this topic. Um, so definitely keep an eye out for that. I promise you there's going to be another podcast episode on it as well, so you can tune in at that point. I hope that this was a very enlightening podcast episode for you. I'm sorry if it was a little bit uncomfortable at times, but COVID is just uncomfortable in general. I like to speak very frankly and openly and honestly with you all. So I hope you got some good insight into, you know, what would you do in X situation and what happens if your client does this or, you know, you know, what, what would occur if you, you know, didn't want to shoot this wedding and how do you cancel and reschedule and those type of things. So, and as always, if you guys have any more questions, I would love to continue the conversation over in the legal page community on Facebook. Me and my team are in there as well as thousands of other small business owners and primarily people in the wedding and event industry too. This is a hot topic of discussion and we all love to like help one another and process all of this together. Um, so I will see you there and I will also be here on the Legal Page podcast in a couple weeks. Bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Legal Page Podcast. See, I told you being legally legit isn't so scary. Be sure to visit thelegalpage.com for all show notes. And it would be super awesome if you could head over to iTunes and leave a review. Last but not least, don't forget to join my free Facebook group for unlimited legal and biz Q&A. Chat soon, Legal Pagers. Oh,